0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Ellen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse. Let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Carlson joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, is it is it going better this week at least? <coughs>
1: No, it's it's I, I I do have like a weird cough, but I am doing a little bit better than I was last week. Even though I don't think I sound like I'm doing better, <laughs> but like my face isn't covered in like blisters anymore. It's just that's exciting. In the crusty remains of blisters. <laughs> um, progress. <woo-hoo>! Yeah, progress. <laughs> um, but my ear is also like kind of semi-infected from the blisters. Oh, that's so I'm on fun. like an. Yeah, so I'm on an antibiotic and an antiviral right now, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Yeah, but I'm also still on like painkillers. So,
0: yay!
1: <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> it, it's it's better than it. Was. I'm not like doubling over in pain like I was for most of last week, which is nice.
0: Which is good. So, I was enjoying um your commiserating with Carl, listener Carl, mm-hmm. over this yeah. a little bit. God, uh, on the eye, no, no, yeah, no. Like listener Carl, ears bad shingles. But, with his eye on his eye. I don't even know how that works, but it sounded like it was horrible. So yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I, I, this is just underlining for me. And I found out that actually one of my brothers already has got it. I need to get the shingles vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) I, there's no reason to wait. Why not? Hey, vaccines, a vaccines, a vaccine. So why wait? Why wait? Um, anyways, uh, listeners, Noel has been under the weather. I have been traveling. I am at, um, a a rare occasion, which is a family like vacation thing for a few days, sort of. Um, which we don't do that ever. So it's been it's been fun, but it's it takes some getting used to. It's like wait, I'm not gonna work. I'm gonna just like be away from my computer for like days at a time. And your TV, and my TV, and my students, and my teaching, and my violin—all of that—it's very strange. Um, but uh, I am traipsing around DC, so uh, I'm, I'm eyeing those cherry blossoms. I must say, <laughs> Noel. Uh, yeah, no,
1: like cover. Make sure your ears yeah. are properly covered.
0: I'm, I'm checking for weird bugs. I did note that this week that Brain Dead was canceled. So yes. it will not be having a next season, which which was expected. It's about right. It seems about right. Um, and as well as some more interesting Good Wife casting, but that's that's a conversation for another day. the The point of bringing up the DC and all that is to say that uh, I I am also I'm behind on viewing. Knowles is, is more up on the viewing, but he's under the weather, so we're going to again again have a shorter episode this week. I know it's very strange, listeners. We're going to be under two hours again. What?
1: We're gonna do a four-hour episode next week. Something
0: clearly eventually at some like we're just yeah this is it'll as long as it lasts we'll enjoy it while it lasts enjoy it before we get back to those three-hour episodes. Um, We're gonna again have just one big segment for our week in TV at the end of the podcast. Of course, we're being joined by Professor Chris Becker, uh, who is 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 coming on to talk uh, China Beach with us, which was so much fun, and that's coming at the end of the podcast. No, I'm going to say this at the end of the show, listeners. No one has ever told me I should watch China Beach. It's really good. Y'all It's should, so good. You should watch it, um, and you should listen to our segment. And if you don't have access to the DVDs, you should still listen to our segment, <laughs> I think, uh, about why it's an interesting show. Um, anyway, so that's coming at the end of the podcast. But for now, uh, let's take a break and come back with our weekend TV. Here lies my last nerve, Donald. I've stood by your side this whole campaign. Your beautiful, dutiful Melania. I can't take it anymore. I am your wife,
2: your daughter,
0: your mouthpiece, your one black friend, your other daughter. And, and your you're breakers. breaking us, taking, taking it, it for, for granted, granted that, that we'll always be, be there. there. But one day soon, Donald, you may wake up and this bomb pussy bow blouse will be gone. This week in TV, we're going to talk a bit about the Jane the Virgin premiere, Chapter 45. Jane is back! Yay! Yay. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about Brooklyn Nine-Nine's Halloween episode, Halloween 4. Uh, then Noel's going to take it with Fresh Off the Boat, Breaking Chains, and I'll talk a little Saturday Night Live. Uh, just a little shout-out to the Lynn manuel Miranda episode, but this week, of course, they had Emily Bunt hosting. Um, then Noel's going to take, uh, take over with This Is Us, The Pool, and Pitch, The Break, as well as a bit of a look at how Season 1 is shaping up so far for Pitch. And then we'll round things out with Supergirl, The Last Children of Krypton. Uh, so first up, Jane is back, and all is moving towards right with the world because spoiler alert michael's not dead Yay. not dead yet yet <laughs> yet uh I, who are you most happy to have back in your life jane abuela the narrator there's so many choices um all of them yeah all of them the yeah it's pretty much all of them confectionate yeah, no, is all of um, them <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it's it's pretty much every single character in that show, um, except for Aneska, um, but even she's kind of char- charmingly terrible at this whole double agent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just glad the show's back. Um, and the premiere was uh, the premiere was pretty good, um, though I will say like the one person I wasn't happy to be back was uh, Michael's mom. She's just the worst. She's terrible. She was... I mean, I understand where she's coming from. But But, she's always been the worst. Yeah. You don't
0: have to like Jane, but she's just being a dick.
1: Yeah. She's, She's very unpleasant. She immediately assumes all control, and Jane being Jane just, like, has to grapple with her assertiveness, and that idea of that she's michael's wife now and she needs to do what she needs to do to stand up to um for herself as a spouse and a partner and that's really significant and really important um so it was really nice to see that play out um in the episode and i I feel like there wasn't as soon as we got to the hospital there was very little tension about them dragging out the idea that michael was going to die um so it's just like okay we've got michael for a little while longer which i'm very happy about because i'm hashtag team michael slash hashtag team michael slash rogelio because gosh i could not imagine going through an episode to an episode of jane mourning and rogelio mourning michael's death it would have been too much it would have just been too much for me to deal with um so i was very glad that that was all resolved um pretty quickly and yeah, no, it was just a really solid episode. It was a very blue episode in terms of like set design and costuming in the hospital. It was very clear that blue was the big color, um, which was very purposeful and mood setting. I thought, and it
0: was it was a, it was a very good premiere. I thought. How did you feel about it? I, yeah, I thought it was good. And like you said, I liked that they really quickly established uh, or dealt with several of the cliffhangers. So they set up that that um, Louisa is indeed with Rose, though she doesn't seem to know where she is. So we don't know that she chose to go with her. Um, I don't think anyone willingly chooses
1: to go in a submarine. Yeah, with, there's that. With a criminal mastermind. Yeah. Never go to a second location with a criminal mastermind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but we also, of course, had, you know, information about Michael. Michael's situation very clearly established. Um, we have um, the the... Raphael and um, who he thinks is Petra, like romance rekindling is is quashed um, immediately. We have uh, the the Zoe pregnancy, unless they go back on that, which I really hope they don't. They they just they deal with the reveal of it to Rogelio, um, and then move swiftly on. Which you know they have the conversation, which I think is good, especially because we did it was such a of course the premise of the show, Jane is a virgin who gets pregnant, um, and decides to keep the baby. I think it's I think it's nice that they show okay, but Zoe's not gonna make that choice. Zoe is gonna make a choice for her. And the show is very actively pro choice in that way, which I to for a moment to get political, that's what choice means. Choosing to keep the baby as Jane did, choosing to not be pregnant as Zoe is going to. Um and and also, can we just give some serious like snaps for for Rogelio? Because he handled that about as well as a person could handle a thing.
1: Yeah, no, he did a really nice job with that. And it's a real sign of his maturation. Um mm-hmm. well emotional maturation. Let's let's not get too far because Rogelio still has very <laughs> Rogelio is still Rogelio, um which is great. Um, but <clears throat> I mean, his whole response to being mistaken for Eric Estrada pretty much solidifies yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, I I think that it's a very mature adult response, and I think that Z- that's something that can always be relied upon when he's dealing with Zoe now. Um, maybe not with anyone else, but definitely with Zoe. And I think that's a real signal about how much Zoe has changed him, but also how much, um. <laughs> he wants to change for her basically and try to show her that he can be this reliable rock for her
0: yeah i really i don't know i hope they do it this season i he wants kids like he wants a baby and i really hope that they let the character have that like move towards something that will make him happy um instead of just continuing this to string out the two of them, which is very real, but there there's there's no budging there they've come to an impasse it can't there's nothing you can do about it so now what what next and I hope they do let those characters move to something next, and they've got their work cut out for them for us to be cool with it as viewers but um, I look forward to to where that will hopefully will go and could go and there's there's a lot of potential with that. How did you feel with these other storylines about um, Petra still being hashtag petrified um, and and the the scheme against um, uh, against Raphael? All of that. What did you think?
1: Uh, I thought it, I thought it went really well. I was very very glad that Raphael was just like I, I, yeah I wasn't feeling it. Um, and I was really glad that that happened because, I mean, one of my big hang-ups with the finale with that is just like, do you not know that that's a different woman? I understand that she looks the same, but do you not know? Yeah. Um, and while they don't, like, come out and just say that, she's it comes from a more emotional place, which I think is truer to the show overall than if it had been, like, some sort of a physical reaction or physical Mm tip-off. But it was very much an emotional, Raph has moved on from... Petra. Um, and I thought that that fit with the show much better. And it fit with where Roth is as like a, a character and a person right now. Um, so I really, really liked how that was played out for that. And it's going to create some fun complications for Neska and her mom trying to figure out what they're going to do to the Marbella um, well, to get out again.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I don't know that I agree with you about what they're saying about Raph because... He thinks he's moved on from Petra because their physical connection wasn't the same. It was gone, but that's because it wasn't Petra. Who's not to say that if, you know, when Petra, you know, is freed and is, you know, that 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 connection won't still be there. That's a fair point. Um, but
1: I feel like he's, I feel like he's just in a different space now. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just... I think that he's just moving on from like this stage of his life as much as possible. And I think that that's partly driven by what's happened with Aneska slash Petra. Yeah.
0: No, I, <laughs> I, I think... need to come up with a weird name for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that, I'm sure that the fans have, I'm sure that that's yeah. something that'll be happening soon. Um, any other, so do we want to mention Sam? Two years crush Sam. Oh, um,
1: Yeah, no, my whole eyebrow arch of Sam should answer that question, I guess, of, like, who are you talking about? (laughs) Um, That I'd completely forgotten that Sam existed. Kind of like the show just went, hey, she had a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean... I, thought, I think it was fine. I enjoyed the um, pullover scene mm-hmm. um, with the soup and everything. Um, even if, again, it makes Michael seem kind of weird and stalkery.
0: Yeah. Um, but,
1: like, the sweet stalker, not the scary stalker.
0: <laughs> well, and he doesn't give a ticket. And yeah. he, you know, he shouldn't have done it. And you can tell he knows he should have. But he also was younger. He was still playing clothes he was earlier in his career you like to think he wouldn't do that now doesn't mean that he sh- that doesn't make it okay but it at least um it they seems it seems like he knows that it's kind of crazy what he's doing uh, at least that's what i was picking up in his performance that it's like that this is not okay or normal or thing he knows he knows that he shouldn't be doing this but he's doing it anyways um so I thought that was fun. And, and I think it also adds some, like, retroactive nuance and, and, like, understanding to this love triangle stuff that he's been putting up with, with Raph because it's not his first rodeo. And Jane's <laughs> worth it. it was, Jane was worth it the first time and she'll be worth it this time. Um, So I thought that that was interesting.
1: No, that's a really good point about – I I think I had that thought in my brain – Uh, about the love triangle like repetition for him when i watched the episode and i just lost that thread in the haze of painkillers um (laughs) but no it's a really good point and i think like you said retroactively it really kind of shades uh nuances his relationship with jane and her whole thing Mm -hmm. um really really nicely yeah you're you're absolutely
2: correct
0: yeah Interesting. Well, we'll see what happens with with James moves forward. I look forward to being caught up with you. Uh, and so we can have, uh, we can be coming from the same place with some of these conversations. I'm just jealous of your hashtag screener privilege. Uh, yeah. But let's move on to our next episode, which is uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine Halloween 4. Now, I was not excited when I heard they were doing a Halloween 4. I was like, I don't think they can recapture the magic. They did so good on 1 and 2, and then they subverted it nicely with 3 a little bit um why four but i thought it was fun i still found myself being wheeled in what did you think i had so much fun with this episode yeah i was just i i was kind of
1: like like you i was very much like i don't know if i'm going to be into this at all i mean it's the fourth go around for the heist um and then like Holt brings in our marching band to announce the heist is on to ride um, of the valkyries I was awesome to ride of the valkyries and i'm just like okay I like where this is going. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of amped. And then they bought in, what was his name, Brian? The Jolo Trulio Uncanny Valley guy. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just like, oh, we're playing for keeps tonight. Okay, mm-hmm. we're doing this. And so I really enjoyed all the scheming. I enjoyed the end result of Gina basically working everyone. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite bit was the fact that... Um, Diaz and Santiago were on the same page. And, like, that Rosa had done all the homework Mm -hmm. and was speaking in Babysitter's Club. (laughs) Marianne's better than that. She's a work in progress. It's just like, this is so much fun. But, no, all of the the sheer convolutedness of everything, from the pizza deliveries to the corgis and the... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) to fetch plaques. I mean, it was all just deliciously fun. And I was cracking up, and I... I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't Terry in the end yeah. and that they just let Terry Crews like, play the frustrated straight man the entire episode because he does that very, very well. Yeah. So I really, really had a lot of fun watching this episode. All the comedies that I actually watched this week were all really, really funny, but this one was very, very funny. Um, so given that you came in with kind of low expectations, what like stood out to you in this episode, aside from anything else I may have inadvertently stole? And mentioned already. <laughs>
0: well, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying, um but I also think what was so crucial for this episode was the change up of the teams and so not yeah. letting it be Jake and Boyle um, and, and switching up the dynamic a little bit, which we've seen Gina and and um, Amy together before, but having it be Boyle and Holt. Um, and Gina and Jake, I, th- I thought was was a necessary change of pace. And to have a very strong, this is stupid guy's voice from Terry throughout, I think also really helped. Like, okay, I went along with you the one time and the next time, but this is ridiculous. I'm just trying to get my work done. I thought that that was a good, like, uh, it cut the sugar a little bit. You know, keep kind of, it, it worked to counteract some of the ridiculousness. Because you need the right level of zany in something like this. Yeah. To keep it from just being too much, and and I I thought, I thought it worked. I thought it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I mean,
1: Holt threw a chair through through the window of his office, which was amazing. That's mm-hmm. how into this he is, and I think that that chair going through the window, even more than like <coughs> the marching band coming in, signals just how much being in the nine nine has changed this man. That he's willing to break government property. Yeah. You yep. get a plaque um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's just really great and uh, it's just such an evolution of the character in a way that feels completely and totally organic uh, but also in keeping with the fact that it makes total sense that Holt is hyper-competitive like of, this and, yeah of course and that he would do this I think it's just fantastic so <laughs> I really really enjoyed it and now I'm now the only thing hesitancy I have about Halloween 5 is how do you do anything better than this basically
0: yeah (laughs) now for you does it get better with each halloween
1: (sighs) i don't know i'd have to go back and watch them i should do that over i should do that i should just watch all of the halloween brooklyn 99 episodes and then just rank them it won't take very long It's four episodes of a sitcom (laughs) yeah um but no i should go back and rank them because i don't remember three very well Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember really enjoying one. I think everyone enjoys one. Yeah. Um, so I'd have to go back and watch two, because two's kind of a blur right now. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember them at all, or...? I,
0: I seem to recall three being my favorite, because that's when that's okay. the that Amy wins, right? And she, like, tricks them. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, yeah. I seem to recall that one being my favorite, but, you know, like, like you, I think those make for an excellent Halloween tradition. <laughs> I like, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine adding to the Simpsons tradition of every Halloween... Or they do this. Or, or like for a while, Bob's for every holiday, they had an amazing episode. Yes. Uh so, so I think it's fun that they that they have managed to find as much life in this premise as they have. It's it's pretty impressive. Because I like I said earlier, I did not think they had another one in them. So that uh clearly we'll see what they if they do another one, I'm sure they'll pull it off. They I don't think they'll do a five if they don't have a good idea. Um yeah. So I look forward to seeing what happens next year, assuming the show comes back. Um, but what did you think? You said all those, the comedies you watched this week were a lot of fun. What made Fresh Out the Boat stand out to you, uh, Breaking Chains, that you specifically wanted to make sure we talked about it? I, I'm behind listeners. I haven't seen this one.
1: Yeah, um, so Breaking Chains deals with um, change, basically. Um, and so in like the A-plot, um, Emery's in the same middle school as Eddie now. Um. And it turns out that Eddie has crafted this whole system of making his life as easy as possible um, by lying to everyone about Chinese traditions and needs uh, because the dumb white people don't know any better. So he's been like, I have to sit in the back of the class with any female teacher, even if they're married, to respect them. Mm -hmm. And just all sorts of like really bizarre things that he's instituted over the course of the past couple of years while he's been in middle school. And now Emery has to follow all of these rules to avoid blowing the cover. And in a sure sign of like how serious he is, Eddie actually has a whole binder of rules. (laughs) He's done homework. He's handwritten them, Kate. I mean, he's like, they're all handwritten, and he just gives them to Emery on the first day. And he's just like, oh, this is just the first one. There's two more. And it's just like, Eddie, you've done more work <laughs> about this. So that in and itself is very funny. But it deals with Eddie having to, sorry, it deals with Emery having to grasp his own innate desire to do well versus selling out his brother, basically. Hmm. And what that means to Salad's brother and how Eddie's taking advantage of the fact that white people are very ignorant. (laughs) And um, so it's a very, very funny confluence of events that leads to Eddie having to take a shower after pee, which is something he's been avoiding for two years, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you see the shower and it's just like, oh, I would avoid that too. I I get it. it. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) Um, Because there's no dividers. There's nothing. Um, but the, the, apparently the water pressure is really great. Uh, <laughs> so that was really that was really funny. The other thing is that um, Cattleman's is doing very, very well now, which is good to know because it kind of helps offset what we talked about after the premiere with them maybe not having a lot of money after going to Taiwan in Economy Plus. Economy uh, Plus, man. <laughs> yeah. But um, they've instituted, like, TVs, TVs, um, in, over the bar, so people are coming in to watch, like, television and watch, specifically watch the Olympics. Because uh, it's 1996, and so there's a couple of jokes about uh, the Atlanta mascot, which kind of hit a little too close to home for me as someone who lived in Atlanta during the 96 Olympics and that f- ridiculous whats it Izzy whatever-the-f*** it's called. God, it was so terrible. Worst, <laughs> just terrible mascot. Don't Google it. It's awful. <laughs> um, so... Cattleman's is doing really well, but the house is kind of falling apart. And so Lewis hires a maid. And, I mean, such a standard sitcom trope of, oh, you think I need a maid, huh? Mm -hmm. And it plays out exactly how you think it's going to play out across the entire board. So there's nothing really fresh here. But all of the freshness comes from the fact that Constance Wu is amazing. Mm -hmm. And Jessica's response to everything is just really, really great. And, I mean... The, the sheer jessica of it all is the fact that the maid doesn't get to clean anything, mm-hmm. and, but she's just like, well, Lewis promised me a ride home, and so Jessica has to drive this woman home and then asks for gas money, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is fantastic. Um, but no, it was a very funny episode about just how all of these everyone's grappling with sudden changes in their lifestyles and everything. And it's very, very funny. Let me know what you think about it when you watch it. I just, I thought it was a really funny episode that really worked really well with the middle, which also had a very, very funny episode uh, this week for their premiere. Um, So yeah, just let me know what you think about it, if you felt the same about it. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a really fun uh, second episode.
0: Yeah, I should be caught up for next week. So hopefully we'll get quite a few catch-ups next week, including Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, because when we record, listeners, Crazy X girlfriend airs after we record, but before I'm able to get the episode out to you guys. So we'll be a week behind with Crazy X tears, but, uh, yeah, Soon. Well, soon. you'll be a week
1: behind. I'm three weeks ahead.
0: Uh, ah, <laughs> uh, Screener privilege! Well, um, I did not keep up with Fresh Off the Boat this week, but I did watch uh, the last two weeks SNL's episodes of Saturday Night Live, uh, which I normally don't ever watch. But first, Lin-Manuel Miranda was hosting, so uh, of course I watched. Right. Um, this Hamilton fan was not going to miss that. Um, and then I, I heard good things about some of the debate Coverage and sketches. So I watched the Emily Blunt episode as well. Um, the for the Emily Blunt episode this past week, I actually think my favorite sketch was um, Emily Blunt as the voice of a ridiculous sink. Um, I'm just I'm just too much. I just why what is the purpose of me? I just this no one has ever wh- why. But it's just I just I'm the largest sink that has ever been a sink. It's just like just like this sort of like art film kind of like. Conscious and, and then the they turn on the water and then she starts gurgling. Turn off the water. <laughs> but it's just it was a really really fun and it was it was the right amount of time. It wasn't too long. Um it's just like if you saw one of those sinks, so those like with the bowl on it, like a like a separate glass, like green glass bowl on a shelf right. thing, you'd be like who's with Emily Blunt is about right for how you imagine (laughs) that, you know, if you were going to give it a voice. Um, And I've never thought that, but as soon as, as soon as I saw the schedule, I was like, that's perfect. So um, that was just really nice and fun and silly and ridiculous. Um, And I do have to give some credit because having been watching these debates, these presidential debates and vice presidential debates, I've really been enjoying um, how SNL has been handling that the last couple of weeks, Uh, Kate McKinnon and and uh, alec baldwin have been terrific as clinton and and trump and um they, they've just like having like watching the debates and then seeing snl a couple days later um, or a week later uh, depending on which day of the week the debate was uh hey they're doing a really good job <laughs> with how they're capturing some of the essences of of the debate watching experience um, some In some cases, using the exact words from the debate um, with just enough of a twist to really underline the ridiculousness of, you know, each candidate in their own way. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's it's been really fun. And I mean, a couple weeks ago with the Miranda episode, they had Tina Fey and Jimmy Fallon on and they were making fun of how the Fallon's character always wants likes Trump and likes his hair, wants to, to tousle his hair. And like, no Fallon, you don't get off the hook for going on to SNL and making fun of yourself for your, you know, your interview with Trump, uh, particularly because you can't get through a single freaking sketch without cracking and breaking. And that's not funny. That's, I don't know who decided at some point, someone decided, Oh, it's so funny when they crack up in the middle. No, it's not. It's not funny. Kills it for me, at least. Um, anyway, so aside from that, which was definitely one of the weak parts of, of the episode two weeks ago, I thought I think it's been a lot of fun. I like the various musical things they've been doing, um, musical sketches. Uh, the um, the one we get this week with Emily Blunt was uh, was really fun, and the one from the week before, the Crucible cast party, was also delightful. So I think they've been on a bit of a of a hot streak, which. I would could only expect I would be very disappointed with them if they weren't given all the material that's been thrown at their feet recently um, and after the, you know the most recent and final debate, I am certainly looking forward to um, what the their last episode dealing with the debates will be. Um, I'm gonna miss a little bit of that I'm not gonna miss not having the, the debates I'm not gonna miss this election but I will miss the comedy potential of it um now you you have you seen sketches or just you're not your not your thing not interested in catching up on the like the debate sketches with SNL.
1: i i've seen like the debate sketches and i watched a little bit of that crucible cast party video that you'd mentioned i didn't watch all of it i watched some of it um but i didn't see that emily blunt blunt sink um bit so i'm gonna have to look that up because that sounds amazing um so no I've, I've i've seen the debate cold opens and um I, like you said, I've enjoyed how they've um, used actual bits of the, bits of the debate, especially in like the town hall Mm -hmm. um, one. (laughs) Jaws. Jaws, which was really good. But also just like, I really liked, now I'm going to lean very casually into this chair and (laughs) it's like i mean it's yeah and the the worst casual thing but also just like i like how mckinnon is able to make this very methodical clinton not feel like a robot which i think is really significant (laughs) in her portrayal of clinton um clinton comes off as just very is sympathetic but also just someone who's not very good at relating to people, which mm-hmm. um, is both accurate and inaccurate um, based on everything I've read about her. But then you watch her on television and she's just like, where did any of that stuff that everyone in private says <laughs> goes yeah. um, type of thing. So like things like her leaning back or her... Needing to ask if she's a teacher to find or whatever yeah. she is, but to you've find. seen
0: a child, right? You've seen but a you've tri- seen a child. <laughs> you right, like exactly. children, you don't like children. You have children, you don't like children. You've, you've seen a child,
1: <laughs> yeah. right? So she can find the right talking point. Yeah. Um, are really these are really subtle things that they can make fun of with Hillary Clinton that they do make fun of and they do quite well. And McKennon's really very good at making sure that those don't feel mean spirited but feel funny, whereas the Trump parody that they have going with Baldwin is just aggressively mean-spirited as it should be. Um, but it's just, it's, there's nothing warm about it. There's nothing charming about it in any way, shape or form. And I mean, even like the prosthetic makeup that they're putting on Baldwin emphasizes kind of an ogreness of Trump's overall face. Um, but they're also just editing it really well. So like when the town hall uh, member stands up and it's a black man, it's just a very quick "oh no," and then it just really quick <laughs> cuts back to the question. And I mean, it's a very quick cut, and it's timed really well, which is something that's you have to really practice in like a rehearsal to get to make sure that that joke lands exactly as it's supposed to land. Uh, so it's a really good editing moment for the show, but. It's just a very mean-spirited type of parody, but you don't need it. It doesn't need to be anything else, because there's nothing charming or laughably funny about this guy. And I'm glad that SNL has realized, oh, right, this guy's terrible. We shouldn't be nice to him anymore <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> type of thing, which is reassuring after like having him on uh, last year with very toothless sketches about him. And now they're just like, oh, okay, we're going to go with the jugular here. And part of that's just like one of the head writers, I think, is very adamant about Trump not being president. Um, And I think a lot of that's coming through. So I'll be really curious to see how, if anything, that they even need to do for this third debate. Where I mean, he just completely went off the rails. So, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what their cold open is this week, but I I I would just like to imagine that it's just Kate McKinnon riding on a horse, mm-hmm. already declaring victory <laughs> with like a sword in her hand or something. But yeah, so they're doing really nice work, but I mean, it's also just really easy work. Like you said, like everything's just laid at their feet. And just pick it and go and you're good.
0: Yeah, it's uh yeah, we'll see We'll see what they do. I don't know if we'll check in on this next week, but uh, I will certainly be watching this next week. What about This Is Us, the pool? I I have gotten away from this one. Should I catch back up?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, okay, so let me preface this by saying that This Is Us has one of the most thickest, most thickest is not grammatically correct, but very much correct for this episode Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what they're trying to espouse to us. So Kevin makes his big shift to New York um after leaving the manny and everything behind Mm -hmm. and um tries out for a play that he read and all this sort of stuff and the flashbacks involve the family going to a pool to escape the house on a very hot summer day and there's a lot of like really interesting things happening within the conf this is like by far and away the best episode that they've used the flashbacks to complement what the main narrative what the main narratives are telling us so you've got you've got kevin trying this new endeavor for himself all alone basically um then you've got uh randall dealing with um issues of race that come through at the pool as well um both in the present and the past and there's just all these little circulations of things that are overlapping complementing each other very very well and it's really well structured and put together but then the metaphor just gets really really thick because at one point past kevin is like struggling after to grab a football um in the pool and he's not swimming very well and he's like tiptoeing in the shallow and closer and closer to the deep end and he goes over that, that little rope that you see in public pools and like almost reaches it but also almost drowns in the process And he manages to get it and, like, pulls himself back up after he's, like, kind of tripped into the deep end. And he's, like, looking at his family and everyone's back is to him. So he's all alone. He's isolated. He's done this very dangerous, momentous thing. And this is coming off just him trying out for this play and getting, like, shellacked by this um, very professional actress who's just refusing to give him anything in the audition to play off of. Is really dismissive of him just all the way through and basically like takes them out for a drink later after they bump into one another and basically tells them to go back to Los Angeles. And it's all just very heavy handed and he's doing this and he's doing this type of thing in just to make the parallels. And it's getting hammered really hard in, in, in it and harder than it really needs to be but it still works because it makes it very clear what they're doing they could have done without uh kevin in the present in a pool later (laughs) didn't drive it home that much but it's still really sharp in terms of what they're trying to convey to us and to just sell it all the way home he leaves his nice apartment in new york and goes to randall's house basically to live for a little while Mm -hmm. and it's because he needs someone to see him basically because he needs to be seen and so if he can't be seen by kate then he needs to be seen by randall and with kate still in los angeles um it needs to be someone so it's really good it's setting up a bunch of other things that are happening because now we get to see kevin interacting with randall and um kate's taking a job with uh her boyfriend's ex-wife. Okay. Um yeah, um I don't think she's going to keep the job, but we we meet uh his her boyfriend's ex-wife. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things still going on um in the show and it's still very very good and it's still really well acted by everyone involved. Um so I'd recommend catching up on it. Um but this week was a good but B, the metaphor just got kind of thick. Okay. Um in a way that was productive, but also wasn't completely necessary.
0: <laughs> well, how is pitch been doing? Cause that's another one that I'm behind on this week. We had, uh, the break and of course the all-star break. Uh, how did, how, how are they doing this first season?
1: I really, really like pitch. Um, and I've been really happy with how they've dealt with the fact that they can't do like a really high stakes, like baseball game type of thing every week. Cause that pilot's amazing for that alone, mm-hmm. but the show's found really good ways to find emotional centers, for everyone in each of the episodes. And um this week deals with Jenny getting basically drafted into the All-Star game. Um after um Mike is basically unable to play um because he's just too injured. Um his knees are just giving out basically. And so she gets drafted to play. She doesn't perform very well. Um, but, I mean, it's also the All-Star game, so who cares type of thing is has been my perception of how the All-Star game functions. Oh, you had a bad All-Star game. Nobody cares, except for the fact that this is the first woman playing in the major leagues, so of course everyone's going to care and it's just yeah. further proof that she shouldn't be in the game at all. Um, so it's one of those things where you get a really nice kind of sexist double standard um, happening. And the episode doesn't explore that as deeply as it maybe should, but the show is so good at making sure that... Threads are getting followed all the way through So just as We're dealing with um, Mike dealing with Bad knees and maybe only having Like two seasons left And in this episode he tries out his hand At sports sportscasting um, As like a guest commentator um, hmm. It turns out that um, Oscar is Trying to recruit this uh, Cuban uh, catcher And successfully manages to do it and that's going to create some problems for good old Mark Paul Gosler. <laughs> <laughs> and, but so everything's getting like really laid out very nicely for the show. And best of all, really for me is the fact that they're establishing a really firm friendship between Ginny and Mike that I cannot get enough of. Like the episode ends with them like talking on the phone about their really kind of not great week. Like, her not so great all star game, and his probably getting replaced by this uh, new player, mm-hmm. and th- there's a really strong sense of camaraderie between both of these two characters, but also between both of these actors, that is just bringing the show up to really interesting levels for me. And while I really like the pilot, I really wasn't sure like what the show looked like going forward, but I really like what the show has become in the first like four, three or. F- Four or five episodes so far. So I, even more than This Is Us, I'd recommend catching up on Pitch. Um, mainly because I think it's a very compelling type of drama. I'm really upset that more people aren't watching it. Um, but I feel like it's such a good fit for Fox as one of the homes for baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, that they may give it some leeway. But I also have to imagine this is one of Fox's most expensive shows. Yeah. And... I'm wondering where the balance is with that But this is a really great show that uses its casts really well I'm not particularly sure on the flashback structure And how valuable that is going forward Um, Dan Fogelman, God bless him, loves this friggin' flashback structure Um, But we'll see how that continues to play out for the show Um, I don't really think it was necessary in this episode But... Yeah, I'm just really very happy with the show so far, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend catching up on that. Is there a reason, like, were you not, like, feeling the pilot? I can't quite remember, or have you just been like... Oh, no.
0: Hey. No, I just got behind on stuff, and it's easier to catch up on half-hour shows than it is hour shows. That's, right, no, that's
1: fair. No, that's pure totally math. fair.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I should, I hopefully I'll be all caught up next week, is the the plan, but uh, we'll, we'll Well, I look see. forward to
1: your thoughts on The Exorcist, then. Yeah. Well, and I and I have zero. seen another couple
0: episodes of that but I'm still not completely caught up. So. Yeah. I'm not so, either. I
1: still have last week's episode. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, our our last show of the week is one that I am absolutely keeping up with. It's one of the first things I rush to on my DVR and that's Supergirl. Uh the, the the last children of Krypton. Uh we have we had Metallo, we have the introduction of Cadmus, we have Brenda Strong as our new, you know, uh government sort of question mark villain um and we say goodbye for now to superman tears i'm cat grant yeah but she's gonna be back yeah but superman's gonna be back too that's true that's true (laughs) what did you think of this episode
1: um okay so i'm like of two minds of this episode um part of me is just like metallo's a terrible villain yeah in part because there's nothing to do with metallo after you've done the kryptonite beam thing out of the chest which is what everyone does with metallo And then after that, there's nothing you can do with Metallo. There's just, we have to figure out a way around the Kryptonite. We figured out a way around the Kryptonite. We're done! (laughs) That's every Metallo story. It's every Metallo story. It's why Superman, the animated series, started just doing these vaguely philosophical episodes whenever they had Metallo on, because (laughs) there was nothing else to do with the character. Um, So, even having two Metallos, um, basically, it was just like, you guys can't do anything with this. We've made this shield, which made me go well why didn't you guys just shoot them in the face with the beam as opposed to right at the chest um You're where thinking the shield is nope <laughs> i'm thinking too much yeah. um <laughs> so i i like as much as i like the idea of metallo the execution metallo is always very lacking that being said brenda strong so great like mm-hmm. she's always the best and this is like such good casting for this i'm very very excited about her as like our current head of face of whatever of cadmus um so i'm really enjoying that um she always brings such like she can do sinister very well she can do a whole range of things very well she's a very talented actor but i'm really excited to see her in this kind of a role and playing like a very arch villain and i i'm 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 game for that entirely um so that kind of stuff i enjoyed um I was kind of sad to see Superman leave. I've been enjoying um, Holchin's per- or Holchin's performance um, mm-hmm. as both Clark and Superman, as we discussed last week. Um, so I was sad to see him go, but at the same time, I'm ready for, like, Kara to, again, resume the mantle of being the protector of the city type of thing. And... I thought that dovetailed really nicely with her having to take steps away without anyone else around her by Cat leaving and by having to deal with a very grumpy Ian Gomez playing um, Snapper Carr. It, God, he's so delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed all of that. I enjoyed the end of having Kara and not Kara, Supergirl and Kat say goodbye to one another. And I refused to buy that Cat doesn't think that this is Kara. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely refused to buy it no matter what season one wants us to think um so i really enjoyed that scene and i'm gonna miss the shit out of calista Flockhart, kate i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna miss her so much and i'm gonna miss cat a lot um but she'll be back at some point eventually but um i feel like snapper will be a decent replacement for that i have no idea beyond um we need to figure out a way to keep james in here somehow that james is the new head of catco which doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense at all but okay why not um so we'll see how that plays out but i'm i'm pretty keen on where supergirl's heading um with our new mysterious kryptonian from the pod and how that's going to play out um so how are you feeling about this episode
0: Another thing, another big thing that happens in this episode that you didn't mention that I think is key is that until they undo it, at least, theoretically, all the kryptonite on Earth that they know about has been destroyed. So that means that they're not going to the kryptonite well for a while. And I very much appreciated that. Uh, Over kryptoniting is the reason (laughs) I very quickly stopped watching Smallville. Um and, uh, and, and but it's just such... so many
1: more different kryptonites that they can do now is the blue uh, kryptonite and the yeah, yellow no, kryptonite. No, <laughs> just no, just no.
0: Um, I will say, uh, about the cats of the scenes with, with Kara and Cat and with Supergirl and Cat were terrific and such warmth and the, the hug and the balcony, it was amazing. Uh, and I, I like that they're giving James something specific to do. So it doesn't make sense, but hey, at least he has a, a role on the show. When geeking out about um, making tech for Superman was delightful and just so good. Um, and uh, and and for me, the, the last thing I'll, I'll say is the the stuff with the Martian Manhunter and and Superman felt rather contrived. So I'm glad they got rid of that at least by the end of the episode. But I really liked what we got with Alex. And with Kara and yeah. and and we Alex, deal with that. Yeah. yeah, Alex being jealous of of Clark and and how swoony Kara is about her biological family, and to the point where she's ignoring her adoptive family, and and I think it's nat- I, th- I think I think what they show makes sense. It's very natural. They don't. Like, they're completely with Kara about it. But, like, it makes sense. And, like, even just she can hug Superman and not crush him. You know, this is what yeah. we've talked about with the whole world of tissue, paper stuff. Like, they're always going to have a connection that she can't have with anybody else because they're both uh, Kryptonians. Um, but I really liked what we got from Alex here and 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 that reassertion of by the way he, he did leave you with us. he walked away from you, and he he had good reasons to do it, but he still did, and yes, he's your family, but we're your family, like we've every day been there in a real way, so that 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 again that tension between the adoptive and the biological family i th- I was thought it was really great that we saw some exploration of that, and the fact that that's how Alex feels, but she doesn't hold any resentment towards Clark. She still like gives him a big hug when they're leaving. And she, you know, clearly has a lot of respect and, um, a strong, like a positive relationship with him, but that doesn't make this other stuff go away. Once again, the, the heart of this show is that those relationships, those, those supportive, particularly the, the mentor and the sister relationships on the show are really strong. And, I'm. I'm very glad it's, it's still in our lives. I'm very glad it's. It's you know seems to be. I don't know about ratings, but it, it just seems like such a natural fit over at CW. I think it was a good thing them moving as much it cost us close to Flockhart, which is not good. But the the energy of the show seems to be up. The more outdoor filming is good. The I don't know. It just seems like it's been a good move for them.
1: Yeah, I think it. I'll be curious about, like, I kind of cringed a little bit when we had, like, the first showdown on the bridge because I was just like, oh, God, we're doing Vancouver nighttime shooting again. No. I'm upset enough that The Flash is doing, started doing too much of that in season two. Um, I'm fine with it on the Arrow at this point. I've just resigned myself to that fate. Um, but, um, so I was glad that most of the action set pieces still took place during the day on uh, Supergirl this week because I like the fact that, Car doesn't. Op- Car operates twenty four seven basically. Yeah. Because Kryptonians don't actually need to sleep that much. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as they've got a steady supply of yellow sun, they're good.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I like the fact that there's still a lot more outdoor stuff, even if it's sometimes it's a little cloudier now than it was in Los Angeles. There's a little bit of rain on the lens mm-hmm. um, during some of the fights, uh, but that's fine. I mean, it's it's you're shooting in Vancouver now. You have to deal with it and you have to make do. So I like. <clears throat> that stuff's more present and but even to that end like they're even when they're doing that where cadmus warehouse sequence with alex which is a really really well done in this episode but it's also it's so well done that i'm just like why isn't arrow doing that because arrow just takes place in endless amounts of warehouses with plastic tarps and scaffolding but it never aesthetically looks as exciting or as interesting as that warehouse did in this episode of Supergirl. And I just was... I was just like, where's the disconnect happening here? Because it's obviously the same goddamn warehouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that that's just one of those things where I just go, well, you guys all have the same production teams. I know it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, you don't have the same production teams. But you're all, like, working together and pooling resources in a number of ways. You're sharing directors, for Pete's sake. Um, so... That kind of thing I expect, but I mean, Supergirl's looking very nice, despite having moved and having its budget, like, kind of probably fairly trimmed. Um, But it's still looking really good, and I like that you brought up, like, the Kara and Alex stuff, just because it nicely mirrored, like, her sense of feeling very attached to Clark, and that kind of weird sense of entitlement that came through in terms of, that bled through in her discussion with alex um carried over to like her thinking that just because she got hired for this job at with snapper she immediately had a job type Mm -hmm. of thing and well no you didn't go to journalism school tara you have no formal training to be a journalist you have no resume
0: yeah you have
1: no resume type of thing you have a resume that just had reporter scribbled on it by cat Yeah. But that that doesn't actually constitute an actual job that you know how to do type of thing. So, I liked how that was attention even if Snapper still grumpily not going to give her a desk, mm-hmm. but that she's going to be able to try her hand at this. But I my immediate question then becomes, well, is she going to get a sa- same salary that she was getting as cat's assistant to form that before that kick-ass apartment that she had? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is she going to like go down to like the shoestring re- starting out reporter salary? Hopefully the DEOs may be paying her now. I don't know. Hopefully somebody. Yeah. Um, Just like yeah, so pick no... up,
0: go to the grocery, go to the grocery store, pick up some charcoal, crush it into a few diamonds, rent.
1: That is a fantastic idea.
0: I mean, come on, it's not like it's it's not like you're stealing from anyone. It's not like you're devaluing the global diamond economy, which is already completely controlled by De Beers, anyways. So that that really seems legit. I
1: look forward to the episode of Card trying to sell uncut diamonds
0: <laughs> that she's crushed from
1: charcoal. She's just like, no, I just found these off a truck. I, you know, I was going
0: through some of my family's old things and, you know, my, my grandfather always meant to get these made into a ring for my grandmother, but then he died.
1: And like, if anyone could sell that story, it's Cara Danver.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, she's too honest. I had to get some connection through Alex. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Um, well, what wins your week in TV, Noel? That's a terrific question. Um,
1: I'm going to give it to Brooklyn Nine-Nine for the ha- Halloween 4 this week. Um, but The middle, Oz uh, premiere, as it dealt with um, Sue Heck um, dealing with not filing for a renewal of financial aid, hit really close to home as someone who has missed financial aid deadlines before. Mm-hmm. Um, hit really close to home, and it mined for a lot of great, good comedy, but also some really great heartfelt moments. But, um... God, Halloween 4 just made me laugh a whole lot, and I needed to laugh a whole lot after last week. Uh, What won your week this week?
0: Uh, I'm really tempted I think I will give it to last week tonight, uh, because with all the political stuff that's going on, uh, I really, really appreciated uh, getting an in-depth look at the third-party candidates. Uh, that I feel like we've needed in our public and comedic sphere for quite a while, but nobody besides Samby B uh, has really done. So I appreciated getting some quality time uh, with that. And it was, again, I always love every time they have the most patient man in the world <laughs> on Leslie Tonight. It just, I just, oh man, that that guy's amazing. I hope he's getting a good paycheck for dealing with all those calls with such a chill face. Uh, Well done sir So I guess I'll give it to last week tonight Okay A few show notes here at the end of our Week in TV You can find a post for this episode at theteleverse.org Where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV You can email us theteleverse at gmail.com You can find us on Facebook Like the page and start a conversation there You can of course uh, find us in iTunes With an M4A chaptered feed And an MP3 unchaptered feed And you can also find us on Stitcher Um, And we're both on Twitter I'm at theteleverse and Noel you are
1: at noel rk and you can find my flash writing over at uh, tvguide.com though i didn't do one this week because i was just like i need to sleep
0: (laughs) (laughs) fair enough um now we will take a break and come back with professor chris becker to talk china beach so so much fun anyways we'll be right back after this hey what is it
1: silly i think you got the market cornered on silly
2: ruins makeup and robs the natural oils. <laughs> That's not it. It just makes me feel stupid and out of control. Just like a
0: kid. You're a new guy. What do you mean? How long you been in the lab? Two days?
2: I'm a donut dolly.
0: Be glad that you could cry. Everyone needs a release. Don't steal that from yourself. can. We're back with the televerse this is kate kalsuk joined as ever by noel kirkpatrick and this week on the dvd shelf uh we're talking about a show that i had like barely even heard of before um and i am very excited to talk about it because i should have heard about this show before i should have known that i should watch the show before so i'm really excited to be talking about it. this show is china beach and here to help us talk about it um an associate professor in film television i've messed it up chris is is chris becker what what's what is the full title
2: you got two thirds of it it's department of film television and theater
0: and theater okay there we go um from again from notre dame um chris thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for getting me to uh take my head out of the sand and discover china beach
2: yeah, it's I, I'm so thrilled to come to the talk about the show, because it's one of my favorite all-time shows, and it is one that not many people know about, unfortunately, partly, because, well, maybe largely because of distribution problems, the you know lack of availability of the series for so long. It is out on DVD now, but you have to be rich to be
0: able to own it, and then it's not available streaming anywhere. So. <laughs> or have a good library system. Public libraries, yeah. There you go. Yay <laughs> for libraries. But yeah, no, because it's about two hundred bucks, and the reason is because they have a lot of really great, meaning very expensive music in pretty much every episode that at least that I watched. There was some some song that I'm familiar with, and I'm not even uh, uh, deeply into music of the time period. Now, this is for those who don't know, uh, Chris, um, what is China Beach about?
2: Uh, China Beach is set in Vietnam and the place, a real place called China Beach, which was a, um, a hospital, m- mostly a hospital, but also sort of place for, uh, you know, short-term leave mm-hmm. for soldiers to go to. And so it focuses specifically on the h- hospital unit at China Beach and the, uh, in-, in particular, the experience of women there, doctors, nurses, uh, the um, Red Cross workers and then the entertainers. I can't, which, uh, the candy, candy stripers. No, I can't remember what they're called. Donut, dollies. The, uh, donut, dollies. donut dollies. Thank you. The donut dollies. Um, and, and, and so it's particularly then a woman's perspective of being on the medical front lines of, of Vietnam.
0: And this is a show that ran, um, for four years, four seasons, I should say, not four years, four seasons, um, mm-hmm. from 1988 to 91 on ABC and, um, now, you've written um, uh, an article about about this show, looking specifically at it being a sort of a forerunner of what is a much more common thing now of they knew they were getting a last season. And so they, on China Beach, they could be very deliberate in how they structured and approached the last season of the show. And the last season of the show is, I, it's, as far as I can think of, unique amongst, like, Ward dramas or comedies like I can't think of another show that did what this one did and um well I'm blathering on here you're the expert here Chris why don't you take it away well yeah that's what
2: stuck with me for so long about that series which I, I came late to it I didn't watch the first season or two I came late to it um but then I got hooked on it and then that final season was I just thought incredible what it does is it it's non-linear and so it jumps between um basically kind of three different timelines because you've got the uh, time in Vietnam of that present moment of whatever year that was then at that point, I think 68, 69. Um, Then it also includes um, flashbacks to other moments from the show. And then it jumps ahead to the present time and ends up in the finale at a 20-year reunion of all the people from China Beach, which is just a beautiful hook to get all your characters back together and reflect on the past. And the whole series is what I talk about in in my article is about this notion of memory and coming to terms with what happened back in Vietnam. And so this structure to deal with, especially then the PTSD all these characters faced, by then jumping between what they experienced and then how they're experiencing it now was just such a clever and compelling premise. And as a viewer then, especially then the finale combines clips, you know, sort of like a bit of a clip show, clips from the past uh, four seasons and then um, some new moments from the uh, Vietnam War past and then the uh, reunion. And it's just an incredible way as a fan of the show to relive the series, everything that you invested in it while seeing the characters themselves come to terms with everything that they had been through. And it was just, it stuck with me. And I, I have a I'll divert to a little side note. I also have a very memorable experience of watching the finale because I was working a summer job that year um, up in Northern Michigan and it was like a third shift cherry factory job. So I came home at like 4 a.m. having worked for 12 hours on the on the assembly line of the cherry factory. And I had VCRed it back VCR days. And so I was up at watching this by myself, complete darkness, you know, kind of exhausted watching this finale at 4 a.m. And I've never felt more emotionally affected, not only by a finale, but maybe even an episode of television, partly because I was, you know, so kind of worn out from work, but it just, it just really hit me how powerful it was to take the viewer almost through the experience of what the characters were going through. So, so yeah, I I loved it.
0: Well, and it's, it's such a powerful statement about, about these characters and about this show. I mean, cause this is a show that's about the Vietnam war. It's about these characters experiences in the Vietnam war and for them, the Vietnam War didn't end when they left, when the mm-hmm. when we pulled out of Saigon. So, like, they're still dealing with this twenty years later. They're still like, this is a. Abso- it, it, it recontextualizes the show to have the last season, and not just the finale, because a lot of shows have done things like that for a finale, but the whole last season, to cut between these different time periods as you watch the characters reflecting on how they've been changed by their experience and their memories of it and how it is continues to shape them. I think that's a really creative and uh, very interesting way to approach this last season. And it says so much, it gives it's such an awareness of the, the lingering impact of Vietnam, particularly for of course the people who lived it. I just, I thought it was really, I was really impressed by the show. Um, Noel, had you seen any China beach? No, regrettably,
1: I hadn't. Um, I was aware of the show, um, mainly because I love Dana Delaney, um, but I had never gotten around to watching it, and I had remembered Chris talking about it on Twitter um, in the run-up to writing the book chapter that we've been discussing a little bit, and that's what made me think about having Chris on to talk about it, because now it gives me an excuse to watch some of the show, uh, which was very, very rewarding, um, because, I mean, Chris, you describing your experience watching the finale is just so touching and one of those great moments of television uh, as a personal experience and i j- just your context of watching it is incredible to me because like i was still like deeply deeply emotionally affected by that finale and indeed many of these episodes and i only did like a handful i did like two handfuls of episodes based on a list that you had provided kate and i and so watching, like, the finale, I'm, like, kind of, like, welling up. I'm crying a little bit. And I haven't even had, like, an extended period of time with these people and these characters in any way. I've, like, kind of compressed it in a very, like, short time span of, like, at the most, like, ten episodes. Ten, 10 episodes, I think. Um, maybe 15. And I was still just really gutted by a lot of it, like, in tor- terms of, how the character beats were happening with like McMurphy dealing with post um, the PTSD and through and through, which, God, that episode is insanely good. But then also, just like you said, like the two part finale is just deeply, deeply affecting on just any number of levels, just on how it structures itself so that even if you haven't necessarily seen those episodes by its use of memory and clip show use, um, it becomes a very affecting episode to understand how everyone was operating, how everyone was thinking, and how this reunion dredged up all of this stuff for them. And it's just so very, very, very good. And I couldn't get over how good it was. Like, I texted Kate, um, even before I'd watched the finale. I think I was watching, like, the first part of, like, that four-episode episode arc as you describe it in your chapter i was just like this show's really damn good and i was just this is again on based on just watching a handful of episodes but even like um tet 68 i was just kind of like bawling at the end of it because i was just like i have no connection to that woman base that character because i basically watched like the premiere and i think i just jumped to tet 68 and i just went I'm just crying at this woman dying in Tet 68. I'm just like, I don't understand. I don't have any attachment to this character whatsoever. But the way that the show is structured and just how really well written and how well acted and how everyone responds to it. Like I watched the episode after it, even though you hadn't recommended it. I watched the episode after it and I was just really blown away by how immediately it burrows into your brain and how effortlessly it does that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think there's something about how well the characters are written and and well acted that just makes all of those emotions come vividly. And so, jumping back to the finale, when I watched it, I think I still hadn't seen maybe the first two seasons. And so, some of those clips were from moments I hadn't seen, and yet they still resonate incredibly. And then when I was able to go back and rewatch, seeing them in the context made them resonate even more. But there's ones like the most memorable for me is the. Uh, the clip when Beckett, who who runs the morgue, um, and his dad is a preacher, he's got certain, you know, good speaking skills, and so they asked him to do this memorial for a group of soldiers, and all that's left of the soldiers is their boots, and so at the front of this tent is the boots, and he gives this incredible speech about all we have left is these boots we must remember, and I think that was from an episode I hadn't seen, and yet I, that was just devastating, and you understand the context. I mean, we all come to a war show, number one, understand the context of war, and we know enough about Vietnam, and, and in particular, that notion of m- this show being about m- Vietnam specifically a show, or excuse me, a war that not only was devastating, but tried to, you know, want like America wanted to just evacuate this from its consciousness. And so, the idea of this show and that the final season, the finale being about we must remember is just so strong and powerful. And there's just something about how well written it is through those characters that, that really brings it to life.
0: For me, with I'd heard the name China Beach a few times, um, and I just in relation to, like, Mark Hellenberger and, and Dana Delaney, but all I knew, it was, like, a show about nurses, and there was a beach, and there was a war. I didn't mm-hmm. know any of the specifics. And uh, you, of course, Nola had mentioned, you know, that you're a fan of Dan- Dana Delaney, so that's how you knew about the show. I have seen her in a bunch of stuff, and was always like, yeah, she's she's good. People seem to really like her. Then I watched the pilot of this, and I'm like, oh, she's really, <laughs> really good. This yeah. is why people love her because she's just the she's just the heart of this show as the central figure of of uh, McMurphy uh, uh, McMurphy, um, and uh, she's just she's just there she's just like the honest vulnerable but strong but detached but all she's such an Uh interesting complicated character and she does so much just with her physicality and her performance um it's every I, i think it's so terrific when you find these shows that remind you yeah, we're in the golden age, the platinum age of television. <laughs> there was really good TV happening in the 80s and 90s too, mm-hmm, and in yeah. the 70s. And there's always been really good TV. There's just more of it now. The ratio mm-hmm. is higher. But this is a show that because it was so inaccessible for so long because of the music rights, basically, a generation of people, including myself, just missed it and didn't want know about it. And so they're just like, oh yeah, there LA law is what the eighties means in TV. No, <laughs> it also means this show. And mm-hmm. Dean is a, a really terrific. She got a couple Emmys um, for her performance. Mark Helgenberg, who I already mentioned also really a very interesting character that she's playing Casey, but mm-hmm. nobody had told me, for example, did you know Robert Ricardo, who you love from Voyager is <laughs> amazing on this show. And Michael Boatman criminally underused in so many shows, Michael Boatman is terrific on this show. And and character actor Jeff Kober is uh. terrific. Like this this whole cast is really, really good. And if if any of our listeners are listening to this and haven't seen China Beach, if you like any of these actors, check it out. If you like if you're interested in if you like MASH, watch it. If you like there's so many different shows that, that I think you could really draw a parallel to with China beach and yeah, it's just, there's so much recency bias with television because of the volume of it, because it's so hard. We all have so many gaps. You can't possibly have seen everything. And so there's so much pressure to just keep up with what's now that if you have these wide gaps in your television knowledge from previous decades, you don't bother to fill those in because it's a hard enough job just trying to keep up with what's already there. And I understand it. Trust me. I understand it, but this is a terrific example of what you can do in television, and, 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 it, and it is aged incredibly. Like, yes, some scenes go on way longer than they would now. There's and the the clip shows can be cheesy, but it's it's a really good show. It's, it's per, performances are amazing.
2: Well, and I think it especially holds up well in this era of whatever you want to call quality TV golden age where shows get praised for, you know, complex characters, complex storytelling, antiheroes. I mean, this show has got all of that, and uh, especially highlighting the um, so the Danny Delaney character, McMurphy, and then Mark Helgenberger character, KC. the friendship they have. Well, frenemyship there. It's a fascinating relationship because they are. Um, and they kind of represent two different ways of dealing with things at, at China Beach. So Casey is 100% cynical, exploited. She's she's basically the the prostitute uh, of the base, but then is also a, a schemer. She figures out all kinds of schemes to make money. She's always manipulating and using people. But that's also a point about Vietnam and and the you know kind of what that war was about. And then you have McMurphy, who is the idealist, um, and yet has this, especially as it goes on, develops this thick skin and. And sense of cynicism and then that plays beautifully off of KC Um, and the way that relationship develops across the seasons and then into that final season um, it's as a beautiful portrait of two complex women um, as I can think of in television it's amazing.
1: No, I think that's a really accurate point one of the, uh, it goes back to like, I hadn't seen many of the episodes that I watched didn't have them interact very much but Tet 68 does and they're just they're trapped in that like officer's um building hotel and I mean it's just a very tense sequence for them that deals with them their very different perspectives. I mean like they both end up dancing on top of that table um at some point. But then there's also just McMurphy's kind of disdain for the fact that um Casey's going through like withdrawals uh, during the offensive and everything, but the fact that they're still, like, connecting to one another on certain levels just, again, speaks to these discourses of quality that we keep attaching to contemporary television that that are ahistorical or don't do a well enough job of acknowledging the past, um, which is appropriate, considering China Beach is very much all about the past. Um, so... That's just, I think, a really interesting, like, ends up being a really interesting, like, meta-textual conversation for us to have about where this is very much a show about a war that we want to forget. It has all the trademarks of things that we don't, we forget that television has always had in some form or another, but we just assume is new and started in, like, 2000. Um, And I think that's just a really interesting concept and one that I'm really glad, like, whenever we have something older than like 1995 on the DVD shelf i'm always really glad that we can like dig into that kind of an idea um i think that one thing i do want to mention and discuss and this came from your article your book chapter chris is this idea of the planned death basically and you pull out a um, critic's like quote about this, and I think this is a really significant thing. Um, I, I'd like for you to, if you can, expand on this a little bit, um, especially given that now a lot of creators sort of know when shows are going to end, not necessarily on broadcast anymore, but certainly on cable, um, is that because of China Beach being a television series, it's able to take everything that it's built up and craft a very affecting finale and but that's something that's super unique to television and basically you can only achieve through television or like god I'm going to be that guy but it's also the only thing I can think of in terms of comparisons like a book series basically where it's just map out for a certain period of time but very unique to television in the sense of how china beach does that and I guess, like, my question then becomes one of where else do you kind of see this happen? Where else has this happened? Did this happen, like, before in any way? Or, like, where do you see this being done in maybe this way, like, today, basically? And how China Beach has structured its finale, final season in a way that really paid off those types of character connections, both within the show, but also pair relationships with, like, the audience.
2: Right. I'd have to think about that. I wish I could look at a list of like some <laughs> finales to be able to compare them to because it's really like this to me is the pinnacle because it, it does to me th- that job the best. And there is this aspect. In, in the article, I frame it around this concept. Uh, a scholar named Seeley Harrington came up with this idea to um, take this Christian concept of the good death and apply that to television. The idea being this Christian concept of the good death is, is, uh, is accepting the impending death, preparing everyone around it so that when the person is gone, everyone will be able to to get past it and um, to respect the life lived. And so she applied that to finales. And and that just, when I read that article, I just thought China Beach immediately, because, and especially the whole final season and finale being about death itself. And so I think that's what a really good finale does, not necessarily have to, you know, prepare us for characters dying, but it is a, a departure. It is a separation And there is, you know, you lament the idea, you know, this is why, especially now, these things have become such a big deal. We can go on social media and it's sort of like having a, you know, a a wake for a show. Um, So I don't know, off the top of my head, uh, what are some finales? Name me some finales and I'll see where where they might fit in. Um.
0: Recent finale. Like, uh, do you want all time great finales or do you want recent finales?
2: Well, well, we can re- redirect that back to Noel because he was the one who wanted me to. God, dress, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hoisted by my own
1: petard. Um, um, let's see. Well, I mean, like I, I, like my immediate thought is like something like the Mash finale, um, which is like doubly long. Also deals with a war. It deals with Korea, but it's it's about Vietnam. We all know it's about Vietnam and just how prolonged that finale is in a number of ways and how it deals very specifically with hawkeye's trauma um immediately comes to mind but it's also one that's not necessarily and it's also one that's very grounded in memory as well at least with hawkeye but it's not something that's grounded in like the memory of like the war itself or of the narrative that it takes place in um it drills down too much, I think, in a way that China Beaches doesn't. And I'm trying to think of, like, another finale that kind of does that. And, like, the only other thing I could think of really is, like, Justified's final season most recently is something that's so grounded in, A, its location, but B, in how much of the relationship between Boyd, Ava... And Raylan just drove that season forward, and how much of it was basically summed up in like that last line of "Oh, we dug coal together," and it, without being Hawkeye or Hockneyd or anything like that, um, that it just really ended up summing up that series and these characters' relationships in a really important way. But those were like the two things that I immediately thought of after while I was watching that finale. But none of them are as aesthetically and formalistically distinct in that they deployed television's unique properties in the same way that China Beach very specifically does. And I can't think of something memory-wise or, like, aesthetic-wise that does that. But, Kate, you were about to say something.
0: Well, I, of course, think of being myself, I think of the Angel finale and the structuring of the Angel finale where the characters are advised to... think about what they want if the if today is their last day on earth the last day alive what do they want that to be and to go live their ideal last day and so then you get to see that for each character and then in mm-hmm. the the way that the show ends is absolutely a restatement and assertion of the show's themes and its and its beliefs and principles um so that one comes to mind for me uh, being a defender of the Lost and Battlestar finales, <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, the way that those s- s- emphasize memory, uh, even like in something like Battlestar, like species memory, in the re- repeating themes through time, uh, or in 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 Lost, the, the I mean the the sense of arrival and completion, and um, like the, those are ones that come to mind for me as well. But again. I'm a big fan of those ones and I I think everybody who who like the the commonly held assumption that everybody knows that those they have disappointing finales is always very strange to me because I know that those are ter- terrific finales um yeah well,
2: there's also the, the function of a finale of leaving the characters in a place where you feel comfortable with it. So, because of course, then you're going to imagine what would happen next. And if you leave them in a bad place, that's extremely unpleasant as, as a fan. So there I think of like the Friday Night Lights finale and trying yeah. to leave you, you know, happy with, with where every character is. And that's also really profound for me in China Beach because of what all these characters have gone through. And so to give them a place, um, and one of the most profound images in the um in the series, in the finale, is when they all go to, uh, on the heels of the reunion, they go to the Vietnam Wall and they, you know, each of the characters then stands in front of the wall and there's these moments of where we're seeing their reflections and their reactions and there's this notion of that this is a, a notion of recovery for them. I just cry like a child every time I see that scene. But there's something about the, the kind of finale putting people, the characters in that place where you can feel good about leaving them. Um, the other finale just popped in my head um, is The Wire. And when Noel was talking, I was thinking of one of Jason Mattel's theories. He's got a book called Complex TV. He's got a chapter in there on conclusions about how often finales are meta about the show. And they kind of take you through an experience of, um, of kind of watching the show. So the final season of The Wire is the kind of the meta one about, you know, how stories are written, how fictions are created. And so that one comes to mind too, as a a kind of a a final season, a finale that's, kind of about the show itself
1: yeah that's a good point i like that and I, i'm someone who like jason defends the fifth season of the wire probably too much <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and i'll be the the difficult person saying any amount is too much <laughs> but um but i do i do like the end of at the it's a good last mm-hmm. se- sequence like just the stairs, every with the tears all of the tears mm-hmm. every time yep. um but before i need to get back to china beach here before we run out of time uh there's at least one other element that i wanted to make sure we we mentioned and that's um earlier this year noel will remember listeners will remember uh i was really floored by an episode of american crime um that dealt with school shootings and interspersed scenes for, uh, from an episode reacting after there had been a school shooting with interviews with people who were at Columbine teachers mm. and students at Columbine. And they would just just, the, I had never seen anything like that. It really floored me and I, I found it incredibly powerful. And I couldn't think of another example of a show doing that. And of course, China beach did that. <laughs> right. Um, they, the thing that's different is of course, they interspersed um, interviews with, uh, with, with Vietnam veterans and like, Red Cross workers and people who had been there um, with clips. So it's a clip show. It's from previous episodes that have already aired. So it's a little different in that way. But um, I thought it was just as affecting here. And to to see how closely the writers and the producers had drawn the the storylines in the show from the personal experiences of these various uh, veterans uh, was really powerful. And it's just this, like, remember that? storyline from episode whatever yeah that's that happened to this person so like the thing he's like oh that's so ridiculous no he did that she did this you know i I thought it was really powerful to first to just to give a voice to to these veterans and and a platform but also then to to underline the experience of watching the show is no we did our homework we take this very very seriously
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, where that those episodes came out. The general gist of the story is that they were doing interviews to get real stories to tell, and they said these people are incredible. We need to, you know, put them on screen. We need to give them a voice. Um, and they're incredibly powerful episodes. And I think there's also something to be said in that regard for the, you know, the innovative innovativeness of of that to take what is a a tired cliche, the clip show, and then put an innovative spin on it. And then what Then the network model allows for. If you've got a lot of episodes, you can afford to take one to do something a little bit different, which you might not be able to do in a 10-episode you know, or 13-episode, uh, you know that shorter model that's so beloved today. So I, I think there's you know, something creative and, and um, both you know, creative and the industry model really interesting about those episodes.
0: Yeah. Do you guys have any final thoughts, uh, episodes, or performances that we haven't mentioned that you want to make sure to give a shout-out to, uh, Noel? Um,
1: not particularly, but more so, like, I ended up, like, buying all four of the seasons. Um, like, Amazon had, like, a four-pack available for basically, like, ten bucks each season, just a little bit under. So I bought all four, so I'm, like, going to, like, very soon, like, or probably over, like, the next course of however many days would equal the entire season is like watching an episode a day and i'm really looking forward to doing that and experiencing the show both in a linear fashion but experiencing this in this kind of jumbled fashion um a just how effective it was on me um still demonstrates the show's power but then like allowing it to like have a build-up i'm really excited and looking forward to that experience of um, feeling how all of that, like, ends up paying off uh, even more if it does. But just based on the surface skimming of the show I did prior to prepare for this, that I'm I'm really very I, – I just can't imagine that I wouldn't be even more deeply affected going forward. Um, the only other thing I'll say is that, of course, John Slattery plays a hound dog in this, too. I mean, God – <laughs> I, I I mean, it's like such a – it's such a good joke that they tell it twice in the finale that he's just like, oh, yeah, no, we could be sisters, sorority sisters. And it's just like, oh, my God. And then they do the joke again, and I'm just like, oh, man, they loved that joke, but it is a really good joke. Uh, <laughs> but it's just in the context, again, of, like, television memory and longevity of going, that's John Slattery, and he stole a hound dog. And it's great. And then also just within that context of the finale, you've got Neil McDonough's um, Lurch slash um, Livingston. And it's just like, oh, God, Neil McDonough's such a baby. But, oh, my God, it's so good. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, like, watching the show, like, um, doing an episode a day, basically, and experiencing its full, full, like, experience full power basically and I'm really really excited about doing that. Uh, What about you Chris like um, for anyone else who's like um, listening to this conversation and going well uh, I'm interested in watching this like where should they start Um, what are your favorite episodes because I think that this is a show that even just based on my experience, you can watch, like, sans context in a lot of cases and still get a really good experience from it. Yeah.
2: Well, I would say if anyone wants a list of recommended episodes, send me an email, cbecker1 at nd.edu, because I prepared a list for you. Um, yes. So I'd be happy to send that along to anyone else. And those are all really kind of the pretty heavy episodes, but most – I mean, it's Vietnam. Most of them are pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, But I guess one character that hasn't come up, uh, who perhaps besides the McMurphy-KC relationship, he's my favorite character. Uh, Booney Lanier is his name. I had a cat once that I named Booney. That's how much this character meant to me. And he especially fascinated me, his place in this world, because he runs the um, he's kind of the, the, the guy who coordinates all the entertainment. And he runs the bar. So he's the guy who has to keep everybody happy. And, you know, these these guys are there on R&R and they're miserable. And he's he has to put a happy face on. And there's just fascinating tension in his character. And especially I'll tease this for Noel, then his character development, the things we learn about his past and then what happens to him. At the end, which you probably already know because you've seen some episodes, but to take that character, this guy who his job is to keep people happy and positive at Vietnam, and then to take him on the emotional journey that they take, it's a it's a beautiful storyline as it develops. And also, the actor Brian Wimmer is really hot. So there's another...
1: <laughs> <laughs> he is very hot. No, I'm not. De- there's no <laughs> argument there. He's very attractive until they stick him with that really terrible wig.
2: Oh, that yeah, his modern look with the with the yeah and the goatee and all that. It's that's that's a problem yeah that ponytail wig is just yeah rough
0: anyway sorry (laughs) um where i will i guess leave it off for for myself is first of all there's a reason it costs so much to buy the dvds at least originally when they were released and that's because the soundtrack is awesome there's so much great music Mm -hmm. it's really good um but the character that besides of course danielin is amazing mark helgenberger is a really interesting character and such excellent writing for that character too that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate um particularly at the time but uh oh we haven't mentioned uh Kinseta, i probably pronounced her name wrong uh, T- to as um uh the the woman sort of like in charge of the 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 she's like the commanding officer of of china yeah Beach? she's like the coordinator the coordinator yeah lila Maj- uh, major lila uh, Garo. Um, mm-hmm. She's terrific uh, as well, and very different. She's like a career military, and like so, the, a female career military officer is not someone you usually see in stuff set, yeah. you know, at that time, which is really interesting. But the character that that I kept feeling drawn to and finding the most interesting, and really the character that you've seen in other things, but they're always a joke, they're always a punchline, is Beckett, mm-hmm. and and. Beckett, he, his job, thats this is the Michael Boltman character, his job is to prepare the bodies of the, the dead soldiers to be sent home and to embalm them. And the character goes on quite a journey. like, like You meet him one way and then eventually you get flashbacks to how he was when he first showed up um, in Vietnam and everything and you get a sense of the how this experience has, has changed him and how significantly it has. But the character, he's like obsessed with reverence for these for these for his men as he calls mm-hmm. them. He's got to take care of his men. Yeah. He feels such a strong duty to them. And on on other shows the character it's always like, oh, the character who's like creepy and obsessed with death and mm-hmm. like gazes lovingly at the dead bodies and is there to, to be creepy and weird in the punchline. Mm-hmm. But Beckett on on this show he like you get such a sense of humanity from him and responsibility and just the the in the individual ways that each of these different characters have been in some way broken by their experience and made made worse or made better in different ways and in this just this being how he has changed from his experience i thought it was really very well done excellent performance interesting writing yeah. creative backstory for him I just kept getting, I mean, cause they named the character Samuel Beckett and yeah, I'm still, still on board.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, and then the, the, my, the chapter I wrote about it, I think his character is as important a linchpin to what the show is about as McMurphy is just in a kind of a more supporting role kind of way. And and I should also note as well, of course, that um, he's, um, you know, African-American and the show does in some episodes touch on the issues of race and especially his resentment about how black uh, soldiers are, are treated and it, the show doesn't shy away from that, and and watching some of those episodes that are about race, you know, I I can't imagine a network show today being able to take on something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, for the Voyager fans out there, go watch Robert Picardo be the skirt chasing, <laughs> <laughs> like overly handsy doctor. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so if we haven't convinced, I don't know how anybody's still listening. If they if yeah. we haven't convinced that they should check out China Beach um But thank you, Lisa, for spending a half hour with us at this conversation, and hopefully you'll change your mind because I really think people should check out the show. I was very glad to have had the opportunity to do so. So thank you again, Chris, for coming on and getting me to to take a look at a show I would have just like oh it's got a little, it's got two female leads running around in swimsuits on the beach, right? That's probably <laughs> what it is based on the poster and based on. I was uh, so wrong. So thank you, Chris.
2: Sure. Well, I'm thrilled to be able to talk to it and hope uh, even if just one person out there watches, this will all be worthwhile.
0: Absolutely. Well, where can our listeners find you uh, Find you online and follow your work? Uh, well, you can follow
2: me on Twitter, C-R-S Becker. C-R-S-B-E-C-K-E-R is my Twitter handle. And if you're into TV news, I have a TV news blog called com, And then finally, I have a podcast, a media studies podcast. If you're Uh, into TV studies, film studies, and that is, uh, it's called ACA Media, and that's at ACCA-media.org.
1: Awesome. And um, uh, your book chapter that we've been referencing, what book is that in, and where can people find that?
2: Yeah, so the book is called American Militarism and the Small Screen. It is edited by Anna Frola, who I did a China Beach rewatch with uh, a couple years ago, which was incredible, and Stacey uh, Takis is the uh, other author, or editor, excuse me. It is an academic book, so it's not widely available. I'm not sure, you know, you might check with your public library uh, to see if they can uh, order a copy or interlibrary loan it. Um, If you're desperate, send me an email and I will send you a copy of my chapter. I'm sure Anna would be okay if I did that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And again, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.